Winning Cures Everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. Welcome in, Winning Cures Everything. It is the Thursday, July 14th edition of the show. I am, of course, your host, Gary Seekers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And going to make this a bit of a shorter show today because at the time you will be watching, this is pre-recorded, just so everybody knows, but at the time you are either watching or listening to the show, I will either be almost to Las Vegas on an airplane or I will be in Las Vegas enjoying my time in the sun and enjoying a little bit of time out at Circa uh, Sports Book and Hotel and blah, 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 whatever. Uh, my buddy Jeffrey out there and whatnot going to be going to see some of the guys at VSIN, etc. So, uh, going to be a good time out in Las Vegas over the next few days. I will be back in time for a show on Monday. So, we will have the Big Ten previews next week. So, just go ahead and be prepared for that. Uh, we're going to start off today, like I said, not going to be a long show, but we do have some topics to discuss. And... We're going to start with the ACC. It does not appear that teams are leaving the ACC as far as expansion goes. And I wanted to go ahead and bring this up at chapelboro.com, uh, your daily local news source from 97.9 The Hill. And it's an article that uh, basically talks about Kevin Guskwicks. And I hope that I said that right. I probably did not. But, uh, but he is, of course, uh, over at North Carolina. And he had some interesting, interesting things to say. He is the chancellor there. Uh, He said, people know the ACC is somewhat hamstrung and in perhaps a weakened position because of the media contract that we're being held to until 2036. So that's what's leading to a lot of speculation. I would say that I'm committed. Athletic Director Bubba Cunningham is committed to maintaining a strong ACC presence, and they are doing everything possible to improve our contract so that we can remain competitive with schools that are in these other conferences. Now, there's the one thing that I said there is we are doing everything possible to improve our contract. Now, that does not mean that they are going to leave. It does say in here that the ACC's grant of rights means that North Carolina and other conference members' TV revenue through ESPN is the property of the conference all the way through 2036, regardless of whether the school remains in the ACC So any departing school could potentially forfeit the opportunity to have its home games broadcast on national television in that time span. It says also, which I did not know this, and this may be public knowledge. I have not seen it anywhere. It says add in a reported $120 million exit fee, and the conference is going to make it as painful as possible for any institution to leave. Charter members like North Carolina, Clemson, or Virginia bolting for greener pastures would almost surely signal the end of the nearly 70-year-old league And in a college athletics world driven by money, of course, the ACC has fallen behind. Nevertheless, he said he remains hopeful that North Carolina and the league could work out a new deal. And this is what he said here. Uh, I'm optimistic we're going to get a better contract. I think ESPN recognizes the importance of a strong ACC, which it really is. It's an incredibly strong conference. One thing that I'm proud of as chancellor of North Carolina Chapel Hill is the ACC is well-known in excellence in academics and athletics. I think we've proven that, and I think this is the right fit for Carolina. Now, the interesting part there, obviously, is I'm optimistic we're going to get a better contract. 
what what does ESPN need to give them a better contract for? Now, the only thing that I could think of is the idea that, one, you've already got them locked in, and it's pretty airtight. If you are wanting to leave, it's going to be a ridiculous legal battle, right? Just absolutely ridiculous. So I don't know that there's any way for anybody in the ACC to leave anyway. But on top of that, if you are ESPN and you've already got that bunch locked in and they're not happy with their contracts, maybe you don't do what CBS did with the SEC, which is guarantee that SEC is never going to sign with CBS again because after the SEC added Texas A&M and Missouri, CBS was not willing to redraw up their contract, redo the contract. So CBS continued to get the CBS Game of the Week, the SEC Game of the Week, all the way up until next year, I believe. They got it for $55 million a year. Now, part of that is because they signed it nearly two decades ago. I mean, it was a long, long time ago. But that, you show a little bit of good faith and show the conference if you want those programs to remain under your uh, under your supervision, we'll say. I guess that might be an easy way to say it. But if you want to make sure that they're all happy, then you continue to redraw the contract, and maybe you keep them through 2036, but you continue as everything escalates, maybe pay them a little more, right? Because obviously I think they could be worth more on the open market once you get to a certain point. You know, there's ways that you can go about this and actually uh, show signs of good faith if you are ESPN with the ACC so that those schools have no reason to go over and flirt with the Big Ten because there are schools in the ACC that would rather join the Big Ten as opposed to the SEC. If you had schools that only wanted to go to the SEC, why would you go or why would you allow them to leave the ESPN platform to go join another conference that is already locked in at the ESPN platform and you would just have to pay them more, right? It, you got to figure out what's the best way to keep this on a bargain and yet make these teams happy, make these schools happy. So the North Carolina situation was fairly interesting. North Carolina could do Big Ten or the SEC, and the fact that the chancellor came out and just flat out said, I, you know, I've got all the faith that we're going to get a better contract. I mean, your contract's locked in. It's locked in until 2036. So my question here is, is ESPN up to something? Like, what are they thinking as far as continuing that grant of rights but making it a little bit sweeter for those ACC teams? Now, that'll move us over to another topic with the ACC. And this was interesting. It's over at Knoll Game Day. It's a part of the SI network. And the report says that the ACC has, quote, had conversations in regards to adding a new team to the conference. Says this would be an interesting shift for the ACC in conference realignment. Now, one thing that we have figured out over the last few days is that, I say over the maybe over the last week, any school that gets brought into the ACC would basically have to sign the same grant of rights that all of the current ACC member institutions had to sign. So you're going to have to roll with that, right? So if those schools are going to be brought in, what school would it make sense for them to bring in that has a good academic reputation, has a pretty good football product, pretty good, just overall good athletics, right? And who 
would it make sense as opposed to the Pac-12? Who else would work? And what we have figured out is SMU has had conversations with leaders in the Big 12, the ACC, and the Pac-12 recently. Sources with knowledge uh, of the situation told the Dallas Morning News, an inside report from the paper read. Bigger decisions such as Notre Dame's future and the direction of each of the three aforementioned conferences still need to be figured out before SMU could potentially make a move, but there is internal optimism the dust could eventually settle in SMU's favor. You have to feel good about where we're at, an SMU official said. Now, we have talked quite a bit about the idea that the Big 12 was not done expanding, and once Oklahoma and Texas leave for the SEC, we kind of expect them to go back in and continue on with their expansion, right? That's kind of what we're looking at, and I think, and we'll see, obviously, but I think that the Big 12 makes sense because you've already got a foothold in Texas and you want to maintain that for sure, uh, but I, the ACC was not something that I had on the board at all. Uh, this article here says, uh, this would be an interesting move in the wake of the SEC and the Big Ten expanding. However, other conferences such as the Big 12 or Pac-12 may make more sense for SMU's future. The Mustangs could utilize their Texas roots to join a Big 12 that includes four other programs in the state. Uh, depending on how many schools defect from the Pac-12, there might be an opening out west as well. And that is true. Uh, we've talked quite a bit about Mountain West schools possibly going to the Pac-12, but if you want to expand your reach, uh, you've already got the four corner schools in Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State. Why not just expand it on over so that you've got a footprint in Texas as well? And SMU would be pretty good. Pretty good. Um, yeah, on here it says the ACC isn't resting on its laurels ahead of multiple reports that the SEC and the Big Ten could look to poach the conference of its top programs. Uh, it says, according to the Dallas Morning News, the conference has had conversations with Southern Methodist University. Uh, now, again, these are just conversations, but the fact that the ACC is open to expanding, uh, we we kind of settled down with, uh, we're going to have two major conferences, right? Two 20-team, 20 20 team, 24-team conferences. And I think what we're beginning to see is everybody's just going to be happy with getting to 16. Because once you get past that, it's not a conference anymore. You're not going to be adding a bunch of games to college football. Because you still have the academic requirements, etc. You're not going to add a bunch more. So if you're not going to add a bunch of games, and you wouldn't be able to play every team even within like three years, then what would be the point? Right? So I think everybody is going to eventually get to 16. The ACC has already shown that they could do it with 15 when they had Notre Dame during the pandemic year in 2020. Why not add an SMU? Like, add one school that brings a little bit of value, gives you a footprint in a region that you do not already have an existing footprint, and continue on that way. So I, I would imagine we'll get to a point where the Big 12 has 16, the Big 10 has 16, the SEC has 16, the ACC has 16, Still not sure what the Pac-12 is going to do. Now, obviously, this is going to just crush some of these G5 leagues, but you're bringing up those schools that are serious about football and bringing them to these bigger conferences. Maybe we're not looking at marginalizing the sport elsewhere. Maybe what we're doing is we've got two premier leagues, and then you've got all of the other ones that have just brought up the G5s that I'm not going to say deserve but uh, the G5s that have shown the willingness 
to invest in their athletics programs. We'll say that. Uh, that could be pretty interesting as we go forward. So keep an eye on that one. Um, I'm going to swap things around a little bit. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to move to this Big 12 topic here, and then we'll jump into a few others. But this was Big 12 Media Days, right? Now, we just talked about the ACC possibly adding SMU. Well, what we have here is Big 12 Media Days. Brett Yormark, has, he made multiple, multiple comments. Um, but he did say, conference composition is once again at the forefront of college athletics. I've been very involved with the stakeholders both inside and outside the Big 12 regarding our path forward and opportunities to grow both the Big 12 brand and business. Now, he talked multiple times about uh, making the brand a little more hip, a little younger, etc., trying to establish these Big 12 brands uh, as something other than what they are known right now. Uh, he said Bob Bowlesby is going to be an incredible resource for him. Uh, he did say one thing is for sure, the Big 12 is open for business. We will leave no stone unturned to drive value for the conference. Now, again, does SMU add value for a conference that already has four institutions inside the state of Texas? That I'm not sure of. That might make more sense for the ACC or the Pac-12. Uh, he did say, uh, as far as realignment goes, exploration and optionality is at the forefront of what we're focused on. Anything considered must be additive and not dilutive. Now, this, of course, goes back to what I have said multiple times on this show. You are getting to a point of diminishing returns on a per-school basis for these conferences. You can't just bring in a school just to have some kind of an even number or whatever. You have to bring somebody that brings in value for everybody. Because if you were to bring in SMU to the SEC, that doesn't do anything for ESPN and your TV uh, partners, right? Because at that point, they're only going to give you a little bit more, and then if you're going to start trying to split it you know, evenly, every school is not going to make the same amount as they would have if they did not have SMU. So that's why you don't hear SMU to the SEC, etc. Uh that's why you've only seen in the last however many years since the Texas A&M and, and the Maryland and all that, you haven't seen a whole lot of realignment because there's not a lot of teams out there that bring a ton of value. What you've seen is Oklahoma, Texas, USC, and UCLA. Massive brands that bring huge footprints and huge, huge value to those conferences that will increase the value per school for each of the schools that are already in your conference. Uh, he did say, as far as the interest on Pac-12 schools, we are exploring all options and we are open for business. I think it's fair to say I've received a lot of phone calls, a lot of interest. Nothing is imminent. Now, obviously nothing is imminent. Uh, but we all kind of saw it as a pretty far-gone conclusion that the Pac-12 was just done and Utah and Colorado and Arizona and Arizona State were going to the Big 12. That does not appear to be the case now. I don't think we're going to see a lot of movement. Uh, you might see some at the lower levels, and if the ACC were to bring in SMU, certainly that would make the AAC do something. But, eh, I mean, what I'm looking at, you know, again, the AAC added enough schools to get back up to 16, I believe it is. Or no, 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 I guess it'd be 14 after those other schools leave. Regardless, I think, I think you're going to see even more. You're going to see these conferences get up to 16 teams, and then there will be some that just go away. And I think the ones that go away won't be those major conferences like the Pac-12 or the ACC, etc. 
what you're going to see is Conference USA goes away or the MAC decides to split up and go into different directions, etc. Something along those lines. The most likely, of course, at this point is Conference USA. So let's, uh, let's hit some ads and we'll be right back to knock out a few more topics. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures, or you can follow the guys at Gary WCE and at Chris B. Giannini, or you can also follow us on Facebook. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit BetUSTV.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports Show and from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. Got your own podcast or web show? Looking to start one? Or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show too. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And now, back to the show. All right, let's talk about Dennis Dodd's latest article over at CBS Sports. And he has got the 2022 hot seat rankings. He's got eight college football coaches with their jobs on the line. That's either a ranking of five or four. And then there are some that are getting a little bit hotter as we go. Uh, Let's start off with the ones that are a five here. And I think that I agree with these. These are the two that it, it would be safe to say if they don't end up going you know, eight, nine wins this year, they could be gone, likely are gone. Uh, That's Scott Frost at Nebraska, Herm Edwards at Arizona State. Of course, Scott Frost, I think the much more likely one to be let go. However, he did just restructure his contract to where, one, the buyout is much cheaper. So maybe that's actually a reason why he could get fired. But two, uh, he restructured it so he's not making as much money. So that could be maybe a, a point in his favor. Last year was certainly a disaster at 3-9, and nine, had eight one-score losses. If you can flip even just a few of those around, you end up going 7-5 and five this year. Maybe you have shown enough improvement that you can keep your job, but we'll see. Herm Edwards, um, the athletic director, of course, Ray Anderson, was his agent before, and they have got a strong, strong tie. I don't know that they're too interested in in moving on from him. Now, at the same time, you get hit with some NCAA stuff, etc., or you get to a point where you can't find anybody that's willing to work with you because 
of the way that you treated those assistant coaches on the way out, uh, which is nothing like Herm didn't do that necessarily, necessarily, but everybody understands that Herm was involved in this, and yet the other guys took the heat, and it normally does not work that way. Normally doesn't work that way at all. Uh, as far as the fours go, and his ranking on this four means start improving now. He's got Brian Harson at Auburn as a four. And I might would have Harson at a five. Like, you got to do something because it has already been proven that that bunch at Auburn does not necessarily like him. And they don't like the way that he's going about things. Now, he has picked it up a bit on the recruiting trail, and there is still time to win some of them over. But... I mean, if you if you go out and look bad early, I mean, he may not even make it th- all the way through the season. Dino Babers, uh, this actually last year post game win expectancy for Syracuse, they should have been a six win team, ended up as a five win team. That dismal twenty twenty season that they had, which was not all Dino's fault, but they they just this is a tough tough job. I don't know that they are necessarily ready to get rid of him, especially based on all the rumors of the contract that I've heard. So I don't know that they are going to get rid of Dino, even if he doesn't have a great season. Um, Jeff Collins in, in Georgia Tech, I think that probably should have been a five, like not a four. I think Now, I, I do think with as tough as the schedule is this season, that you don't necessarily have to make it to a bowl game, but... You gotta show improvement, and you gotta you gotta win some games. Like you gotta you gotta get back to about four or five. Eh, let's say five wins. If, if he doesn't make it to five wins, they're gonna be in trouble because this is your fourth year. You gotta show some kind of improvement. Willie Taggart is a four on here, and I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Um, Dodd has it on here basically because uh, he settled with one of his former Oregon players that sued the coach and his former strength coach after being hospitalized. Like, there was a lot that went on here. Taggart admitted to the drills being excessive in Oregon. Um, you know, like, he, he doesn't have a great record and all that. They did go 5-7 and seven last year, and I think they do expect better at Florida Atlantic. But at the same time, I mean, the year after Lane Kiffin won a conference title at FAU, he went 5-7, and seven, and then the very next year bounced back and uh, won another conference title. So, you know, I, I don't know that... I don't know. I, I don't think that that's something that uh, would make him lose his job if he were to go 5-7 and seven again or 6-6, six and six, somewhere around there. But we'll see. Uh, he's got Jake Spavital at Texas State. That does make a lot of sense because the way that he has gone about it, he's basically stopped recruiting high school kids, and he's only bringing in transfers at Texas State. Uh, Marcus Arroyo uh, at a 4 as well over at UNLV. I don't... I don't necessarily agree. He started during the COVID-19 season at a place that was just a dumpster fire. Uh, he's 2-16 and 16 after two seasons. But they they looked pretty good towards the end of last season. It looks like he's starting to build a culture. I don't think this is a 4. I think this is closer to than, than... I think it's closer to a 3. That's what I'll say. I, I think next year is the year where you really got to start paying attention here. Uh, as far as getting warmer, he's got Mike Norvell at a 3. Carl Durrell at a three, and Jeff Scott at a three. Uh, these are all guys that started during that COVID-19 season in 2020. Didn't even get spring practice, really. Uh, Jeff Scott, I mean, I don't even know what we're going to look at. He, he's beaten one FBS team in two seasons. They are 3-18 and 18 at South Florida. Uh, he's got a talented roster this year, so we'll see what happens there. Mike Norvell is a three. Um, 
he's eight and thirteen his first two years at Florida State, but the mess that he inherited from Willie Taggart was disgusting. So we'll we'll have to keep an eye on that one. And then Carl Durrell, uh, he's a three now. He'll be a five going into next year if they don't fire him after this year. I've projected them to go zero and twelve this year. They are not projected to be favored in a single game, and the schedule is just abysmal. And what he's done with that roster is not improve it. Like, it has not improved since he's gotten there. It's actually gotten worse. So, yeah, Carl Durrell would be one that I would look out for that's a three that could end up losing his job this year. And then, of course, Mike Norvell, if everything falls apart at Florida State, you could certainly see that happening as well. Uh, But the hot seat rankings, always ready to get you fired up heading into a college football season, and we are getting ever closer. Let's go ahead and talk about this one as well because this is another one that is brought up routinely every year heading into the college football season and that is over at 247 Sports Bud Elliott knocks these out and he's of course on the Cover 3 podcast Uh, this is the so there's the blue chip ratio which is the normal one this is just based on recruiting and that is uh, let's see the teams who have signed more blue chip recruits than now um, over the last four classes or than non excuse me Uh, more blue chip recruits than non over the last four classes Alabama is at 89%, Ohio State at 80%, Georgia at 77, Oklahoma 71, A&M at 70. Those are the only ones that are over uh, a 7 to 3 ratio as far as blue chip uh, athletes is concerned. That's 4 and 5 stars. You've got some other interesting ones on here towards the end of this. You've got Auburn, Miami, Penn State, Michigan, Oregon, etc., right? Notre Dame's in there, Clemson is in there, LSU as well, Texas always seems to be in there. But the thing that really got me is this time we started discussing the uh, blue-chip ratio with transfers. And the only school out of all of these that actually added a percentage point, like it had anything in the green, is Alabama. And with the transfers that they brought in, including the ones that they left, they are now at 90% if you include transfers. Uh, Ohio State drops from 80% down to 78%. Oklahoma drops from 71% down to 65 And, of course, everybody saw what happened with Lincoln Riley. He took a bunch of guys with him. A lot of guys left Oklahoma and went elsewhere. Uh, Texas lost some guys that... And now, this is, of course, based on recruiting rankings, not based on what they were re-ranked as re- uh, transfers. So, Texas bringing in Isaiah Nair uh, probably didn't help a whole lot. Guys like uh, Jacob Cowing that went from UTEP to Arizona... Cowing has kind of proven that he's a five-star wide receiver. I mean, he is absolutely incredible, and yet he is not ranked as that as of right now, at least not with these blue-chip ratio, because it's it's based on initial recruiting rankings. So this is definitely interesting to look at. The only one that was on the list initially that would drop off based on transfers is Miami, dropping from 55% down to 49%. But the blue-chip ratio basically shows the teams that are capable of winning a national title. And yes, with the playoff, it has gotten significantly more difficult because now instead of just getting to a BCS title game and having to win that one game, you have to win two games against incredibly talented opposition. So it's what made it so difficult for a team like Cincinnati last year. Yes, there were only two wins away from the national championship, but everybody saw that Alabama game. I mean, they got walloped by a team that couldn't run the ball against any SEC defenses. So it's it's kind of difficult to look at Um, But it does give you an idea heading into the season of who you should be paying attention to, of course. So, 
Uh, but Elliott does a great job with that every single year. 247 Sports, just on top of the recruiting game, absolutely. Now, I did mention on the last show, of course, on uh, Monday night, that we would have some more top 10 returning receivers this year, and we are going to go over the G5 wide receivers that are coming back this year that have provided the most value for their teams. So we will start off on a PPA per play. That is predicted points added. It is uh, a metric that is used over at College Football Data. And we're going to go from 10 to 1 here. But these are guys that you need to know the name of because they are the ones that are coming back that have already shown that they add a ton of value to their team. So every time they touch the ball, something good can end up happening here. And we'll start off with number 10, and that's uh, DeCorian Clark, wide receiver at UTSA. Uh, 71 plays, .837 PPA per play. Uh, predicted points added. So uh, nearly nearly one point per play, like not too shabby. Jalen Wayne, number nine, wide receiver at South Alabama. Yeah, you thought that when they lost uh, their, their other big-time receiver, and I forget his name. Um, I will figure it out here in just a minute. But uh, Tolbert, Tolbert, that's it. Um, once they lost him, you would think like that whole offense is going down. No, 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 my friends. Jalen Wayne is a stud. Uh, Cole Tucker at number eight, Northern Illinois, he was also a stud. They run the ball a lot there, but they're going to find the way to get him the ball a lot more, I would imagine, this season. Number seven, Jalen Hall from Western Michigan. Uh, let's see. He actually transferred to Western Kentucky. Now, that Western Kentucky offense is going to be interesting this year. They brought in Jared Dagey, the quarterback from West Virginia, who was at Bowling Green before that. So you got a guy like that that's already got some experience. You bring in a guy like Jalen Hall that's already got some experience. Um Western Kentucky could find some interesting interesting plays this year, I would imagine. Uh, number six is Puka Nakua from BYU. Uh, big play guy, of course. I would imagine we'll see quite a bit of him, especially with some of the changeovers that they had at skill positions. Tyler Algier is gone. They might look to lean on the pass a little more this year. I would doubt it. But regardless, they've got this guy out there, and he'll be able to make plays. Jake Bailey, wide receiver at Rice. He's number five. Uh, he is headed over to SMU. He transferred, and he is going to do big things, I would imagine, in that offense. Uh, I mean, he's he's nearly one full point. He's .95 PPA. Number four. Now, this is where it gets interesting because you got two guys from the same team that are both awesome. And offense was certainly not the problem for this team, but Charlotte. Number four, Victor Tucker at .976. And then number two for them is Grant Dubos. And he's 1.305. You've got two stud receivers. Uh, you got Chris Reynolds, the quarterback there, that's going to be able to do some big things under Will Healy. And the question, of course, has been, can they get their defense fixed? And, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Number three here is Tank Dell, uh, Nathaniel Dell, as it lists here over at Houston. He should have a pretty big year because Houston's starting running back, of course, tore his ACL. He's going to be out for the season. He tore that in spring. And Tank Dell is going to be their playmaker. He is their dude. Um, I think there's a chance he could end up returning uh, kicks this year. Uh, 1.105 is his PPA per play. I mean, he he's a stud. Like, Tank Dell is, is probably going to be drafted in the NFL. And then number one is Allie Jennings. Now, Jennings barely got in on this list because you had to have at least 50 countable plays as far as the list goes. But, I mean, every time he touched the ball for Ricky Ronnie's offense... Uh, 1.312 predicted points added per play. Like, Allie Jennings looks to be the real deal, um, but only 50 plays. So we'll see. We'll see. 
Now, that'll move us down. Let's look at the total PPA here. Number 10, we already talked about Puka Nakua. Uh, we'll add in here Dante Cephas. Now, he is at Kent State. They are changing over quarterbacks. But Sean Lewis's offense definitely lends it to where you can actually uh, make a lot of plays because you're going to get a lot of opportunities. So, Dante Cephas at 9 for total PPA. Rasheed Rice at SMU. Uh, he had 77 countable plays, 63.615 overall PPA. Ryan O'Keefe at UCF. Uh, Big-time playmaker, stud, absolutely in that Gus Malzahn offense. They're going to run the ball a lot, but anytime you run the ball a lot and those safeties get drawn in, those cornerbacks get drawn in, O'Keefe's going to be able to take it over the top. So I like that. Zachary Franklin at six here, UTSA again. Uh, we did have Cephas, um, not Cephas, excuse me, uh, DeCorian Clark for average PPA. But Zachary Franklin is, I mean, just Mr. Reliable. Number, he's 114 countable plays here. Uh, pretty good. Like, you'll be able to rely on him. Number five here is Allie Jennings. Of course, I brought him up. He was number one as far as a PPA per play basis. Number four, Trevon Rudolph. And he's at UNI. So that's another guy from Northern Illinois that is, you know, may not get the ball a ton. I mean, 92 countable plays is pretty good. But, hey, this is a team that likes to run the ball. You're going to be able to find these guys open more oftentimes than not. Number three, again, we're back to Charlotte. Grant Dubos, uh, 61 countable plays at 79.629 PPA overall. And then you've got Jalen Cropper from Fresno State. Of course, Jake Hayner, the quarterback, is coming back. Jeff Tedford comes in. He already knows how to run Kalen DeBoer's offense. I think he probably taught it to Kalen DeBoer, to be completely honest. Uh, Jalen Cropper had 124 plays last year, 82.878 PPA overall. And then number one here is, of course, as I just mentioned, Tank Dell, Nathaniel Dell over at Houston, had 113 countable plays last year, 124 PPA. Just an absolute banger, and he's going to be awesome because Clayton Toon is going to be really, really good this year if we take anything from Dana Holgerson's career. It's anytime he has had a quarterback for multiple years. In his last season with uh, Dana Holgerson, he has his best year. So look for a huge year from Clayton Toon, and I think Dell is going to be a massive part of that. All right, gentlemen, ladies, etc. I am going to get out of here. You guys have been fantastic. I am headed to Las Vegas for this weekend. If any of you are there, reach out to me on Twitter, at GaryWCE. I will still be on the Twitterverse doing my thing. I'll be over at Circa. I'll be over checking out uh, multiple things around the Fremont area, and then on the Strip. So come out and say hello if you're around. If not, we'll see you again on Monday. With that said, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and hopefully, hopefully all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to the Winning Cures Everything podcast. The website is winningcureseverything.com, and if you want to connect with us, we're on Twitter, at GaryWCE, at ChrisBGiannini, at WinningCures, or you can email us, Gary at winningcureseverything.com, or Chris at winningcureseverything.com. Subscribe everywhere you need to subscribe, and we'll see you soon.